Hey everyone, this is Marnie with the Golden Thread Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And uh, we are going to be welcoming a guest that just finished her third book, which is number six on the Amazon. It reached number six in Amazon Folktales, Legends, and Myth mythology sales and it's the name is pico but i want to welcome jen lighty to the program and to the golden thread podcast welcome jen thank you marnie it's good to be here (laughs) it's so good to be here too i think we were giggling before we got on here so we have our tea ready and we're ready to give you guys a good podcast today but i'm gonna just share a little bit about jen so that you get some context and she's located on kona on the big island of hawaii and born in japan under a waning libra moon and i was really excited about that because i'm a libra and so we have that in common um but she has a really strong desire to share knowledge and create harmony wherever she goes. And she does this um, really by writing, doing a lot of writing. She's, her life has been a journey of trial and error. She says that she's moved from place to place and from profession to profession, from being an oyster farmer on Block Island, Rhode Island, to an aquatic body worker in Mexico. But writing has always been the constant thread. And I mentioned earlier that this is, her third book and uh, she's the author of three books of poetry and a memoir and pico a return to the dreaming um, has been nominated for best new american poets and the Pushcart prize so welcome welcome i'm so excited you're here and that we're having this conversation because i'm a huge fan of poetry and mythology and of course anything that's related to hawaii and And so I'm really, really glad that we get to have a conversation today. Oh, thank you, Marnie. Thanks. (laughs) It's really exciting to be here too. My voice is a little uh, raspy from just waking up. And I, so I just want to apologize for that (laughs) to start with. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. This is super, super mellow. Um, So let's go into a little bit of like who you are and um, we know that you live in Kona right now, but I know you were born in Japan and, and have been all over the place in terms of living in different environments and and being exposed to lots of culture. But um, tell us a little bit about who Jen is. Um, that's such a good question, and I always have sometimes <laughs> I, I have a hard time like simplifying things. Mm-hmm. I'm a very circular thinker, mm-hmm. but um, it's interesting that we're, that the, the day that we're doing this interview, I'm actually on Block Island, which is wow. a small island the coast of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And this place um, has been the like the touchstone of my soul mm. since I was five years old, and I moved here as an adult in my early twenties, and basically spent twenty years here, living mm-hmm. year round. It's really small; it's only seven miles long and five miles wide, and it really is like living in a village here. Mm-hmm. in a way that most people in the United States don't experience it anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, I went through this incredible initiation here without knowing what initiation was or that I needed it just from right. living. And that happened really slowly through time. Mm-hmm. Um, just being in connection, close connection with nature. 
but then eventually it became time for me to, to move on. And during those times, I started to venture out into other places. Um, I first, I, I lived on the, I went to the big Island for a few, a few times. I lived in Mexico. I lived in uh, New Mexico. I just kind of traveled all over the place. And then eventually I ended up on Kauai and went to massage school there. And then mm -hmm. went back over to the big Island and have been there for the past four years. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, I'm saying, I guess the question who I am, where <laughs> is that, is that where I am? Because one of the, yeah. the, one of the big things I work with is really the connection to place. Yes. And how that's not just about us choosing the place. Mm -hmm. It's about the place choosing us. Mm-hmm. And being part of like, you know, the bigger dream of the place itself. Yes. And so that's, that's who I am, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. Yeah. No. And I love it because I also grew up in so many places and traveled to so many places. And I do feel like, um, you know, places, there are certain places, especially like in Hawaii where people get off the plane and we know this and they're like, I'm always meant to live here. I'm, I have a deep connection to it. Or, you know, people leave their hearts in San Francisco or they think of romance and it's France, you know, I mean, everybody has their, their mystical ways of connecting to land, to Aina, to culture and tradition. But I do agree with you that it comes from a very, very intimate relationship with, the land itself. And um, I feel like very few of us have the opportunity to be able to spend time with the Aina and spend time listening to the Aina, or we haven't been brought up in a culture that actually encourages or fosters or um, supports listening to the wind and the rain and the rocks and the, and the ocean and, you know, the forest and the streams. Um, some of us were brought up in maybe a city environment, which has a very different kind of hum to it. Um, so I love that you are all the way on the East Coast and then come to the middle and then all the way across the Pacific and then kind of back and then back to the Pacific and finding your place and where, where it is that's inspiring you the most. And do you feel like within all of these different places that you got to experience life and experience nature, um, that one was calling you more than the other, or was it something that just kind of grew onto itself as a co-creation of life? Hmm. Well, I, I feel like I'm a person and I've, I've resisted this a lot, mm -hmm. but I feel like I'm a person because I want to hear like the big call. I want it just to mm -hmm. be like, I know, I know, but I feel like I'm a kind of person that flounders around a lot more. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the choice usually comes from some invitation from someone. Oh, like, why mm -hmm. don't you come here? Come, you know, unfortunately people like me, I guess. So, <laughs> so I have a lot of friends. They're like, why don't you come? And so then I come and then things just happen because I said yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of... Um, part of my makeup like I know in human design I'm a six three in the profiles mm -hmm. okay the people we're just supposed to go out and, and have experiences you know okay. <laughs> I love it so, and then the, the path becomes clear after that but you know it's but you know even with Hawaii you know so I first 
went there in 1994 because I had a friend that was a graduate student at University of Hawaii and she said, come. So I went and hung out in in Honolulu for a few weeks. And then she had a friend that was, I had a coffee farm in Captain Cook and that friend said, come on over. So I went (laughs) and then I was hitchhiking and people picked me up and I ended up house sitting right in Puaco for three weeks. And then from there, I know it's like so magical. And then from there, a neighbor said, do you want to go to Waipio Valley for the weekend that I met? And I went and I was, that was that feeling you're talking about of being like seeing being in a place and knowing Mm -hmm. this, this is it. So after the house sitting, I ended up hitchhiking back there Mm -hmm. and I went down into the valley and I lived there for a while, like six months. Wow. And a lot lot of that is what's um, detailed in some of that is that's one of the threads in the new, in my new book in Pico. So, so yeah, that's my story. That happens. I keep, you know, these, somebody says, why don't you come here? And I go, and then these incredible things happen Mm -hmm. and being, you know, really important part of my journey that hopefully I'm offering to other people as I get older. So I think it's important to like understand the author and where you're coming from as you're writing a memoir like Pico so that we can, as the readers, we can understand the context of what it is and what inspired you to move into different spaces and what is captivating you to write something like Pico. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you ever heard of the book by Chandra Rhymes, Her Year of Yes, but she wrote a book called The Year of Yes. And um, she documented everything that she did when she would just say yes to everything that kind of came in front of her. And it was her way of like, I'm going to give myself a year of yes and just allow life to kind of guide me where it needs to take me. And I think that's a quality and a trait that a lot of us um, really want to think we can do it, but very few people actually do it. You know, very few people, I think, you know, do kind of trust that they're meant to be guided into these places and have these kinds of experiences. Um, and so I just commend you on, on doing that and listening to your gut and listening to your, your inner authority um, to be able to like have all these amazing experiences in life. And I was just reading here, like um, you were just saying that, you know, this, this book, this once just launched um, and has become, you know, number six in folk tales and legends and mythology on Amazon. And that it's a wonderful feeling to have a, jo- a childhood dream come true, you know. So now you're like living this like beautiful reality um, with the success of this memoir. And that's really I just I'm so honored that you're here to kind of talk about your experience of writing what that memoir, how it started for you. And, you know, I'm sure people who are going to be listening to this episode are going to be aspiring writers in some way or aspiring poets in some way. And sometimes the, we're all kind of fumbling, as I told you, I'm like, help me with my Substack, um, fumbling through our way of trying to figure out how to get our work published. But, you know, let's start at the beginning of, of what inspired you, like, writing you said is a constant thread for you. Um, Can you tell us how you approach just your writing and your writing style? Sure, Um, that's that, you know, when I say a constant thread, it literally was there from before I could read. Yeah. You know, I remember sitting, my mom was a big reader and would read to me. And I remember literally memorizing the books 
that mm. she was reading me. Like I would, and then I would hold them and read them out loud, but I couldn't mm. read. I didn't know what the marks on the page meant. Yeah. But I knew what the words were because I'd listen. And then I just wanted to write. And I just, for it probably started, you know, as a child, I was just reading constantly and then just moved into writing it. I just never stopped. And I, um, I went through a lot of approaches to it. You know, I had an academic background. I, you know, I got mm -hmm. a, a bachelor's and then I got a master's and I, you know, I was in, in MFA programs for creative writing was like really focused in that world, which was all I really knew. It was kind of before the internet Yeah. of like, this is how you can be a poet or this is how you can be a writer. You know, you go into academia and then you'll right. be successful. And that didn't work out. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time it was hard. Like I had an agent for a novel that I wrote in my twenties and mm -hmm. it never sold, but I was so, I was so close, you know, I was so close. And it didn't work out. And now I'm like really glad it didn't. And I'm I'm also really glad I dropped out of my MFA program. Right. Because when I did that, I just really like surrendered trying to go into that world. Yeah. And I mean, I have had a little bit of success in it with like some, you know, prizes and nominations and things and grants and awards. But I, because I dropped out of that, I really was able to find a different community um, of people mm -hmm. that, that were writing and into poetry mythology that because they truly loved it. Mm -hmm. So I became part of this community called the Great Mother Conference mm. that's been on for like oh, 45 years at mm -hmm. least. And it was founded by Robert Bly, who is, um, yes. uh, he recently, but you know, he was really founded the mythopoetic men's movement and mm -hmm. got a lot of women, you know, people of all genders into this. Yeah. I've been part of that community for almost like 20 years okay. and have really been able to like, grow as a, a being and a writer through that mm -hmm. and that you know that was not part of academia that was like purely for love and that's yeah. been incredible to be with those people yeah yeah and how did this whole um I think that's really important because I you know as a as a writer myself I think we go in and out of the, the love and hate with it and the pressure to me being in academia right now is, mm -hmm. is, you know, the pressure of writing papers and things like that. And I do think it's important to find your, find your voice and like within the different constructs of what's possible, even if it is like just poetry or short story or writing scripts, or, I mean, there's so many different mediums that people can do. And right now, because of the internet, like there's so much opportunity for work to get out there. And even if it's not, um, like you said, gonna most of the time like create a living but sometimes you do have really good success and sometimes you don't and i think i was just talking to somebody about that of you know um i had a professor from yale who is in my women's studies program in san francisco and all of her work was all about um the greek Eleusinian mysteries and it was just she was so impassioned about it that she wrote like a whole series on it and you know got a lot of academic acclaim for it but really she's like i would have done it anyway because i just love it so much and i just want to learn about it so much and it just fuels her passion for it and i feel like that's really unique in something that we all want to have as writers um to be able to find something that really fuels our passion so much that we're you know up late <laughs> chotting it all down you know automatic writing in our sleep and um 
So I wanted to ask you how the memoir for you, because I know you had two other books already, but how this memoir in particular, like started to approach you since you say like everything with you really, and I agree with you, is like a co-creation, you know, so mm -hmm. that's whole ceremony of this consciousness of the book of Pico, like coming to you as a memoir and you working with it and going into ceremony with it to like bring it into life. Um, when did you feel like that started happening for you for this work in particular? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I love talking about this because the yeah. process was so incredible and so magical that, you know, this is where I'm like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so I went, I had, I, I mentioned I had the academic thing and then I had this long, long years on Block Island of like really initiation, but that was like really full of struggle, like difficult. Yeah. And then, but then I, um, through that process, I did like learn a little bit about how to listen to nature and how to read nature, I would say. You know, mm -hmm. in Hawaiian culture, they have the, I think it's, the, they say kaona, K-A-O-N-A, which is yep. the language of nature. I think, mm -hmm. no, kaona is with language. Maybe it's high alona. High lona, yeah. High lona, high lona. So um, in 2021, I was living, it was the year of the COVID year when things were yeah. more shut down. I was living, um, I'd already lived in this area before, so I knew it and developed a connection, mm -hmm. but I was in um, Honau Now, mm -hmm. living on a farm, caretaking of this property. And I would go down to the bays every day and swim, Kalakakua, Honau Now uh, Bay. Yeah. And I was, I'm an incredible property, really incredible. Yeah. Like I could really sink deep in and because of COVID, I wasn't working very much. Right. So I really had that time and space yeah. to open up. And during that time, um, a book came into my life by this amazing, amazing storyteller and mythologist from England called Mart Martin Shaw, who mm -hmm. I know from the Great Mother Conference. He's, he's very well known now around the world as a yes. storyteller. So he wrote this book called Wolferland, which was about a ceremony that he did going out for 101 days, listening to nature and telling stories to this one particular mm -hmm. area. So I, and then he wrote this book and I was so blown away by the book. Yeah. So say I was I'm just walking it. around. Oh, it's, it's amazing. So I was down at, um, in the Pu'uhohonua Ohonanao, the place of refuge mm -hmm. one evening wandering around thinking like, I want to do something like that. I want to do something yeah. like that. So, um, I wasn't really ambitious enough to do 101 days. I didn't feel yeah. like I didn't, or I didn't feel called to do that. So yeah. I said, well, what would be a good number? I said, well, this is 2021. This is the, the this is the year. Mm -hmm. So then I, um, I said like, why don't I do something for 21 days? Mm -hmm. So that was really the Genesis. So I, and then I was like, I'm going to tell a story for okay. 21 days to some spot in the, in the place of refuge, which is now it's a, it's a national park now. So right. Uh, but you know, for people that don't know, it's a very sacred site in in Hawaii in Hawaiian culture. Mm -hmm. And um, the place of refuges were places in the in the old times of Hawaiian times where if people had violated kapu, which is sacred law, they could mm -hmm. come there and would be um, what's the word I'm looking for? They would be liberated. They wouldn't have to mm -hmm. accept the punishment of the kapu. Mm. So you know, on a metaphorical level, that. Right so much as well so 
what I did was go for these 21 days and um, I don't want to say where it was in the park because you'll find that okay. in the book. So yeah. I told, I told this, I sat for 21 days and would tell a story and by story, I mean like a myth or legend from a different culture. And, you mm -hmm. know, so some of the stories are Hawaiian, but I was also weaving in because, you know, I'm not from that Aina. Right. And I also, so I was telling stories from like my culture, like introducing myself, you know, from my, my ancestors in Europe and even right. from Japan, you know, I was born in Japan. I'm not Japanese, but right. you know, I feel that a connection to that place because my birthplace yeah. was there. Right. And then I sat, I didn't write for 21 days. I just sat, well, I did write, but not there. Like I wanted to be like really present while I was there. Mm -hmm. Then I would go home in the evening and like take notes in my notebook okay. about things I saw. And then at the end of that is when I wrote the first draft. So after that, that's what I did. After that, I just sat down and like, you know, like a white hot fury for 30 days and like wrote the first draft thinking, oh, oh it's wow. done. Then it was another two years of editing. So. <laughs> <laughs> and what, and um, I just love that process though. It's such a beautiful process. And and like you say, being in right relation with the with the land and listening and and paying attention and giving yourself the space to do that, which I if anybody out there who's listening is a writer, I think that's one of my biggest challenges is giving myself the space to write um, and and being OK with that much space that I might need to write. Um, so I love this process of having something that is like mythical in a way of connecting and this really, it sounds super yummy to do it that way, you know, instead of like, okay, I'm going to sit at my desk and I'm going to write something for the next 30 days or every day I have to write two hours a day or something like that. Like, I love that whole process. It sounds way more exciting. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that is hard for people in um, industrial civilization, I, I, I don't know, Western industrial civilization, I guess we could call it, is mm -hmm. we have a, we well, there is so much pressure with time. Like our relationship to time isn't, doesn't operate within the way that mythical time yes. operates. The mythic realm is all around us. You know, it's still here. Mm -hmm. It hasn't gone anywhere. Right. We don't have the ability to connect it in this we don't because our time pressure is so hard or as many opportunities everybody has the ability mm -hmm. but you know, I've been really I was really fortunate that you know I stumbled I came to Block Island after college because yeah. I couldn't figure out what to do you know it was the same thing like <laughs> oh my gosh I can't like be in the world this is too hard so um and I you know so I I was able to do that and then I had this year during COVID where I was able to do the same thing but um yeah, I don't have an answer for that of like what I would love to see humanity be able to people that are so pressured by time and feeling that disconnection from nature to be able to drop back into that because I feel like there's so much healing from connecting in that dimension. Mm -hmm. And um I mean when I wrote the book, I really feel like it's it's not just a document of my ceremony. Like I want it to be a ceremony for the people reading it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that it has, you know, it actually can shift the fabric of reality for people. Mm -hmm. I know it's like a big goal, but <laughs> I love it. Know, I love it. I think it's something that's really needed, you know. And 
I want to see us be able to collectively, you know, move out of like the, the trauma of the way that we live. Yes. And move into like another way of being. And I think like the mythic realm, just even like if you can go to like a workshop for a week, mm -hmm. you know, even a weekend, like I've seen incredible things happen from like day workshops of like being with stories because the stories are the voices of the land. You yes. know, if you talk to like indigenous people, they, you know, you ask them like, oh, where did you get these stories that you tell? It's the, vo the voices of the land. So when mm -hmm. we're listening to that story, we're, we're like reestablishing our connection to like a really deep root of, of human culture. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I can, I've seen, you know, the transformations for people in like a day from doing this, you know, longer, oh. better, but. Absolutely. And I love how you have um, written here in the, in the book, you say Pico is about humanity's separation from nature and shows a way for humans to weave themselves back into the hoop of life. Um, so, you know, it's meant to be experiential and something that transcends the descriptive power of words to move consciousness at will, which is all magic is. So this is, you know, I feel this, I know, I, I know with my own healing work, over the years, and it's been like 25 years of doing healing work now. Um, you know, it is within the intuitive, mythical dream state reality that people do their deepest work in, you know, and giving people the agency to spend time with themselves, you know, in the resting, in the quiet, in the void, um, is really in the alpha state, is really where a lot of incredible beauty occurs and a beautiful things happen and there is so much beauty in the mystery and a lot of times we are so busy in our western colonized capitalistic society that we kind of miss it you know we miss when everything and so i i really am a big advocate of like slowing things even further down so that you can be so extremely quiet you know that you can hear like just even within the inhale and exhale, like that in-between moment, even between that that breath. And I wanted to talk about here, you said um, you were going over some things in the, um, the book itself. And you said you wrote a lot about Heka, Mu, Hawaiian magic in, past, in the past several months. And you have this on your Substack if anybody isn't familiar with Substack, I'm going to put her information at the bottom of the episode and you can follow um, her Substack, which is, what is the name again? Um, it's called the Corpus Colossum Chronicles. Yes, the Corpus yeah. Colossum Chronicles. I love it. <laughs> so cool. Um, but you were mentioning here uh, in the past couple months, you've been talking about the art of spell casting and, uh, through the course of ma and how magic like continues and magic consists of banishment and sacrifice and balance by invocation. And the third point of this triangle is administration. And so can we go over that a little bit about like that whole idea of like incorporating? I mean, I think there is a bit of mysticism and ritualness and, um, connecting into the divine essence of where we are in, in the mythic realm, like you were saying, but you're really, I, I agree with you here that it does need to have like invocation. 
Sure. I'll, hopefully I can keep this simple because I, I, sometimes I tend to get like really woo, like abstract. <laughs> I like yeah. spin out a bit, but so I think a lot of people, particularly if you're familiar with the spiritual community mm-hmm. are aware of um, manifestation. Yeah. So that's would be where, what we would call invocation in, in Hekka in, in magic. Mm-hmm. So you're calling something in, right? But because, uh, but uh, but because of the the like the natural law, the way of the natural laws of the universe that are really beyond they're beyond the human. We can't change these things. Yeah, <laughs> some steps we miss the steps where we also have to, or or sometimes people just go for the banishment, mm-hmm. and that so they're like saying I don't, I'm banishing this from my life but also in Hekka the word sacrifice is also used uh-huh. and then if they have to be in an equal balance because the and if there's a vacuum created by a sacrifice the universe is just going to fill in that space right and that's where so many of our creations go awry mm-hmm. and I think we see that collectively on our planet I mean this is such a huge topic especially yeah. with sacrifice Yes. The sacrifice works is working through, it's working unconsciously through all of humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's happening to, a, you know, it's it's like happening through like rituals we don't even know about. Right. So that's what's, I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like I was trying to keep this simple, but then my <laughs> mind. Oh my. We just so, go with it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think if humans can understand this this formula again of banishment, sacrifice, and invocation, and start to do that in like a simple level, mm-hmm. through like creating like life as a ceremony, which is mm-hmm. which can happen, um, like I, through like literally just sacrificing. You know, um, our brother Kaoni Hanale will say, "My yeah. anatomy is a sacrifice," right. So starting to like work through that way and then realizing that like I'm in a ceremony all the time with my invocations and my, my banishments, mm-hmm. we could really shift our collective consciousness. Yes. It, it quickly. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I was talking about with, is this making sense so far? Yeah. So we're talking about with the administration. So the series I've been working on in Substack called the art of spellcasting. Mm-hmm. In administration has to do on you know the technical level in magic with the oscillation of magic. So this is from Hekka, which is the Mu Hawaiian magic. Mm-hmm. So what happens is people will have their invocation and maybe they'll even have their banishment. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they just have one, and that's where things really fall apart for us. But the administration is where people, where the, the what I'm going to say, the spell falls apart. Because people aren't following it all the way through with like keeping it uh, oscillating, like turning. So there yeah. is like an actual formula of this that right. um, Yoni's like taught a lot about. And what I'm trying to show through my writing in this series is not just describing the oscillations of magic, which are correlated to the seven principles of light. Mm-hmm. And then there's two in Hekka that are actually um added on to that 
-hmm. And those are not considered, it's really interesting because they're not part of the scientific recognition of the principles of light. And those Mm -hmm. are revelation and completion. So when Mm -hmm. you think about like, okay, why would science not want revelation and completion? Why are they not seeing those principles? Why are they not acknowledging them? That's has a lot of implications about like how our consciousness is being manipulated by, mm-hmm. by science. And yes. I'm not anti-science, you know, I'm not saying yeah. I don't believe in it, but there, there's, it's a chosen paradigm. You know, yeah. they choose to leave something out. So that's one of the things that limits humanity from, in our creations and right. in our perceptions of like the true nature of the way that we are and the and the ability that we have to create with or co-create with it with the elements mm-hmm. so um i feel like there's ways in the administration that are like much simpler than the way that i'm describing yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so and i'm trying to like you know like i'm like what would county say about like to make it simple but like <laughs> i think but like this is the way that i'm doing it like being aware of like you know, moving into this like process of being like really aware of like following the creation through mm-hmm. to make it buoyant to like bring it into this into the body into this way that it can really fly and not just like abandoning it and saying like oh like I I, I made my invitation I made my um maybe it can be as simple as like just being loyal to it being mm-hmm. faithful and believing in it like believing yeah. like in the safety of the of the feminine right you know so that that's a simple way like to keep the faith with it and like yeah. knowing that because instead, instead of going to this like big process but this this art of spell casting really goes through each one of the oscill- the principles of the revelation the oscillation of magic through light in mm. a um in another experiential way because that's the way i do things so it's not just explaining it yeah i hope that Absolutely. wasn't too arcane no (laughs) no it's it's great and it it also just like shows like the breadth of like all the things that you like you say you've got so you know such a big um viewpoint of just even the ethos of what's going on you know in the collective consciousness but how that's coming through and how we as a humanity are working with our own agency of trying to alchemize different distortions of levels of patriarchy and colonization and decolonization and conditioning and limitation and oppression and subordination and you know i feel like a lot of the work that i do in terms of like collective trauma is a lot of people they definitely don't know where to start because it is so it's such a kaleidoscope you know and there is so much systemic and intergenerational conditioning that's been going on and we can prove this through epigenetics epigenetics right now and i think that if we try to heal as a humanity like yes you have to start working with yourself but just know like there's so many other factors that are working with you and are working through you and around you and nature is a huge part of it and so i really love how pico you know and you can talk about this a little bit too of you know your desire for like you said that you know it is you know trying to bring people back into and pico means center if you guys don't know but in hawaiian it means the center but um bringing people back into their center you know what is 
what what is it that people you want this book to be experiential i know and what else are you hoping that they're going to gain from it um oh that was beautiful <laughs> you say that well like wow i feel like i could talk to you for like a couple days yeah yeah for sure i'm like wow i gotta catch my breath okay. um, so i feel like another thing that i would really like people to gain from it and this ties into my general project in in life in general not just as a writer but as a, a body worker and healer yeah to so the corpus colossum which is the name of my Substack, mm -hmm. um for people that don't know is the bridge it's it's this it's gray matter between the brain hemispheres between the right and the brain hemispheres the right and left mm -hmm. brain Right. So it's literally like a physical structure mm -hmm. that, um, you know, people tend to think of it as like dividing them, but it's actually metaphorically, it's a, it's a, it's a bridge metaphorically. And it used to be a bridge is what I'm trying to say. Now it's like, a division. Yes. So I'm trying to, through, um, particular as a writer, through the use of metaphor. Yeah. To, to rebuild, to reconnect that bridge. So to shift what's become a division between logic and imagination back into a bridge to like yeah. reunify human consciousness. Because yeah. I feel like if we can do that, we can come back into like a healthier relationship with all of life. Because yes. we're so we're so dominated by left brain culture now. Yeah. which is so which is all about like logic and the material mm -hmm. that we become we become we've deceived ourselves into believing that we dominate or can control things that are beyond <laughs> us and we've cut ourselves off from yeah the great matrix of you know really what i would say like you know the great mother or like the cosmic yeah. one. so that would be that would be like what my I would love to, if, you know, if, if people had that experience through the book and that's, you know, like I've spent a lot of time in the sweat lodge mm, and, I love sweat lodges. And, and, and in the aquatic body work and worlds mm -hmm. like in Mexico, um, receiving and giving aquatic body work, which those experiences really take you into connection with the great mother. And I'm yeah. hoping the, and like for me, like rebuilt that connection uh, yeah. So I'm hoping a book can do that too. So. I love it. It's going to just bring together the right and left hemispheres and we'll all just be like beautiful sentient beings and recognize like how important we are, you know, and how connected we are to this planet too. And I do feel like there is, um, we are a little egotistical as a human race. You know, she's been around for quite a long time. I think we're at 8 billion years or something, but you know, mother earth, mother Gaia is, she has her own agenda and we're really fortunate to be here as long as we are here. And it goes by so quickly, honestly. Yeah. And you know, you, you have like these, this little blip of an, a human experience, like your consciousness is, really only here for a tiny like not i mean like a little little moment unless you talk about quantum entanglement and then it's existing all the time and whatever but 
or quite, you know, it's okay. Like I can go there too, but I, I just love how um, you're using metaphors and to help people kind of make that bridge in their consciousness that they, you know, can exist and like really tap into their feminine nature, their right brain thinking, but that actually like a lot of it is this reclamation of like coming back into it's in the descent, you know, I really feel like the healing is in the descent of the body and not in the ascent, which we've been trained to do more in the ascent of accumulation and like, uh, you know, success and all the conditional ways that, that we've been for thousands of years been underneath um, the figure of the father. But now is I think where we're turning into the ma and we're turning into the mother um, that this work like this just to really helps people to see that it's possible and helps them to reconnect to their dream state and, and their own mythology of self. And I commend you on that because we need more work like this in the world and people need to have some direction. And a lot of people need that direction because they don't know how to get there. They know that the feminine is like holding the, the, the dream state of the divine, but they still don't know. And I think one of my professors said, you know, Carol Christ, she said um, in one of her books that, you know, it's the feminine that leads the man to God, like is to determine like the feminine is the what is going to help to reclaim the, the unified self. And um, so all these big and little ways that people are showing up right now and producing work that is supporting all of us as a collective to get there is like, way to go, Jen. So Aww. proud of you. <laughs> Thank and we, you. yeah, we need it. You know, that's why I was so excited when you were like, yes, I'll come on to the program. And I was like, yay, because, um, and we need to celebrate it. You know, we need to celebrate you and celebrate this amazing work that took years to do, but it's a lifetime of work, like you said. And, you know, to, to hold that vision for yourself and witness how far you've come and where you're going to go and where it's going to lead you. And I feel men and women, um, need to trust in, in their ability to bring work, their true divine work onto the planet to support humanity. But um, especially the women, you know, I work with so many women that really are struggling to just find their own inner power, their own inner Dharma. And uh, what is supportive is like saying, well, look what Jen just did. She just wrote her Pico book, you know, and uh, so that gives a lot of inspiration out there for many of us who are hoping to do something similar or just be touched by that grace, you know, a life of beautiful transparency and a life of prayer and ceremony. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah. I would like to add to that briefly. Um, yeah. Because I, I do think it's important what you were saying about like people realizing that there's everybody's on a mythic journey. Yeah. We just don't always know. We don't know it because we haven't, we don't think our lives are important enough or we don't know the patterns of myth because we weren't, we didn't grow up in cultures that had initiation or realize this. So one of the things that another thing I really want people to see from my book, which is actually the hardest part for me as a writer to be this exposed Mm -hmm. is there is the story of my descent in the book you know the mm -hmm. journey down into the underworld so that's yeah. a particular why it's a memoir 
Um, but and just realizing like every everybody listening to this has their mythic journey. And I'm hoping if you read the book, you'll understand you'll be able to understand. And perhaps if you haven't been able to see your own life in that way, you'll be able to like see the markers like, oh, yeah, you know, when my when my husband died, like I went into this or like this depression that I had that the doctor said I needed medication for was actually a call to go like deeper into my soul. And yes. like being able to see that, you know, that everybody's life is really important. And the beauty of being human is that we can share these stories with each other. And the mm -hmm. particular thing about being human that I think is really beautiful is that we have the ability to express um, our gratitude with, through language, but with the acts of praise. Mm -hmm. That's something really specific that we, we have as humans that mm -hmm. I think is a, a really important gift. And I want to, I want to hope that people will remember that and maybe go praise something beautiful around them today. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I completely agree. And I think, yeah, thinking of the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, Joseph Campbell's work. Um, I think people are starting to recognize really quickly that they are on their own, their own journey, their own healing journey. And, you know, there is so much light within that dark voided space. And so being open with your own journey always just liberates so many other people. So, um, way to light the way because we need it and i so appreciate you being on this program today and really really look forward to meeting you in person and giving you a hug in person one day but um before we go if you are listening to this and uh, you want to learn more about jen's book which is um pico the hold on let me read it one more time um a return to the dreaming is going to be available on Amazon as well as on Bookshop, which I just learned is bookshop.org is a nonprofit, right? So Bookshop, and then you can go to Jen Lighty, which is J-E-N-L-I-G-H-T-Y dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. On Instagram, she's under Aqua Odyssey. And yeah. on Facebook, it's your name, Jennifer Lighty. And again, the name of the book is Pico, A Return to the Dreaming. can be purchased from all online retailers, including Amazon and bookshop.org, or it could be ordered through your local bookstores. And I'll put all of this in the episode so people can find ways to get the material and start their own journey, however that might be. And I wish you all the best of luck. And hopefully you're going to have lots of great people praising your work. And many, many new things are going to come from you, I know. Thank you, Marnie. Stay tuned for our next uh, episode on the Golden Thread Podcast. And until then, I will talk to you all soon. Have a great day.